Please open your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I can assure you that in heaven, no one speaks out of turn. No one speaks disrespectfully or unkindly. And the use of the tongue is for the glory of the Most High God and His blessed Son, Jesus Christ. And even those created beasts that are there that are saying, Amen, every day and night, forever and ever, are doing it with pure speech. Before we read in James 3, and your turn there, and I want you to stay there, I want to remind you that Isaiah tells us in the 6th chapter of Isaiah that when he saw a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up, a most glorious vision, the first eight verses of Isaiah 6, when he saw the Lord lifted up in glory and his train filled the temple and there was smoke everywhere and it was incredibly beautiful and majestic because he had a picture of the glory of God, what immediately bothered him was his speech. His words were, Woe is me! Exclamation point. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And if we were ever to see the King that our brother just prayed about, truly, we want to guard our speech. Because when you're in the presence of authority, dominion and power, You do not speak out of turn, and you only speak when you are called upon to speak, and you only say the things that you are told to say. We all know that naturally. We do not walk into meetings with important personages in this world and shoot off our mouths. We forget when we're at home that we are still in the presence of the Lord, and we shoot off our mouths. May the Lord have mercy upon us, and we live in a nation where there is no regard anymore for disrespect or foolish talking or jesting or laughing or joking or cutting or sarcasm. It never ends in our speech. When you see God, according to this vision in Isaiah 6, the thought that comes to your mind is you are undone. You are ruined because you have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and you wish you could get your words back. Now, there's only one way to save us from that horror, and that's not to let them out in the first place. May God help us in the next few minutes to study the tongue. I want to tell you the verse that the Lord's laid on me this week. I didn't know if you were going to get this this week or some other time, but I want to tell you that it says in the second verse, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. I'm your pastor. I know your needs. Not all of your needs, but many of your needs. I know my needs. The Lord's given me, I hope, the gift to know the needs that we need in the year 2000 to be righteous before him. Amen. We need to learn to bridle the whole body. We need to learn to be perfect. But do you know where it starts? With our tongues, a small member. Let me read to you a few verses, beginning with the first verse. My brethren, be not many masters, 
knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your holy word, the Bible. It is your revelation of your perfect mind and will for our lives. You have given it to us by grace and mercy. We humble ourselves before thee and pray that you will sanctify it to bear fruit in the lives of every hearer. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us that we might learn to bridle our tongues and to rule them, that we might in turn be perfect men, have pure religion, and be able to bridle the whole body. O Lord, let us not be guilty of idle words for which we shall give an account in that great day. But let us have gracious speech that is good to the use of edifying among ourselves and among all men, that we might be truly the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel, is the verse I began with this morning. And if you're preparing to meet God, you want to prepare your tongue. I know about the preparations that some of you have made before you went to interviews. And I know that you would write down some of the questions that you would be expecting so that you could prepare your answers to be wise answers, good answers, eloquent answers, sober answers, to the point answers, careful answers, so that you wouldn't speak out of turn, not be able to say something when you should. And I hope that you'll consider that when it's our turn to meet God. Because when we meet God, the tongue is all of a sudden an instrument we wish we could control better. And the Lord Jesus Christ, if we want to be like him, had a perfect tongue. The first time he ever spoke in public, in Luke chapter 4, it's glorious. He read the scriptures. He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. 
and he sat down, and it said the entire congregation of God-hating, Christ-hating Jews looked on him and marveled at his gracious words. Now, a few more gracious words from the Son of God, and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. But it wasn't for the lack of graciousness in his words. You can go read it in Luke 4. It was the glorious doctrine of election that they could not stand. But he was gracious, and oh, I want you and I want me to have the tongue of the Lord Jesus Christ. I first of all want to point out from this passage in the second verse that the nature of speech is such that if we can control our speech, the discipline that it requires, and the humility before God and the enablement of His Holy Spirit is such that we'll be able to control the other things in our lives. Now, I usually have to say to you, I don't have any cute, short, easy rules that you can follow to be successful. Because it's the, it's the straight and narrow way of following Jesus Christ, and it's, we gotta press into that kingdom to follow Him. But you know what? There is a little easy rule here, isn't it? It's can we learn to control our speech? If we can, can learn to control our speech, we are well ahead on the way to controlling our whole body. Now, we know that we're to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And But you can know from other places that the mouth only speaks with what you've allowed to exist in the heart. Right. But if we can control that tongue so that even what's in the heart can't get out sometimes, it would be to our profit and our blessing. I, I think when I read that second verse, that if a man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man... And able also to bridle the whole body. I come back to chapter 1 where it says, If any man among you seem to be religious. Verse James one twenty six, And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Right. True religion. True. If, you're a relig- if you want to be religious, in, in a godly sense of that word, not superstitious in the case of the religion of the Athenians in Acts 17, but if you want to be religious in God's definition and please Him and be a worshiper of God, then we do it by bridling our tongue. And it's right there in the same book, James 1.26. I want to point out to you that in verses 3 through 5, James gives us some illustrations. A horse might weigh anywhere from 800 to 2,000 pounds, depending on what breed and size and maturity it is. But you can take that great animal, far stronger than you are, with neck muscles that dwarf all the muscles of your body, and with a little bridle in its mouth and the leverage that those reins give you, you can turn the whole body wherever you want it to go. And so the, the Lord gives us that illustration because he's pointing out that if you can control the tongue, you can control the whole body. And so we've got this great horse, but because we've got it way out there in its nose and mouth, and we're able to pull, we can control it. Then we have a ship, though it be so large, so much larger than ourselves, and it's driven by great winds when it's at sea, yet there's a very small piece of wood hanging down in the water called a rudder that's controlled by the helm, and wherever the governor of that ship wants the ship to go, if he says, starboard or port... You turn the helm, the rudder turns, and the ship goes in that direction. Even great big aircraft carriers, right, Mike? They go in that direction. It may take them several miles to turn, but they go in that direction from a little tiny rudder. 
And so it is with our tongues, because look at verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member. You know, if you weigh 150 pounds, which is a typical average weight for a, a, an adult human, 150 pounds, how much does your tongue weigh? Who wants to tell me this evening how much their tongue weighs? Uh, uh, take some pictures while you're getting it on the scales. It doesn't weigh much. It doesn't weigh much at all. It's a very small member of our body. And yet, look what it can do when there's so much more to us. But that tongue is a very small and a very potent part of our anatomy. And the Lord expects us to use it wisely, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. It can say great things. A third example that the Holy Spirit gives us here is behold. Notice in all three cases he says behold, which means stop and look. Look at this. Look at the horse. Look at a ship. And look at forest fire warnings. Don't all forest fire warnings show dropping a cigarette butt or dropping a match on the ground because a forest fire that consumes thousands, yea, even millions of acres begins with one spark, one flame. And that's what we have at the bottom part of verse 5. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. No matter how big of a blaze you put in your fireplace, it started with a match. And, we, and the Lord wants us to see that because the improper use of our tongues can cause great damage. But brethren, it can also cause great good Amen. when it's used well, right. which I shall not fail to show you this morning. Verse 6 in the tongue is a fire. Notice he uses the illustration of a fire in verse 5. Then he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. You know, we say sometimes that a person's fallen into a, a world of trouble. They're in a world of hurt. Well, in this case, the tongue is a world of iniquity. It has all sorts of and a large number of iniquities waiting to burst forth from that tongue. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. The tongue is a little leading member. If you can control it, you have the discipline of righteousness that is going to keep the rest of you under control. If you are not controlling your tongue, but letting it speak when it shouldn't speak, you are not under control in the whole man. And so it sets on fire the entire course of nature. Your entire natural man, if you are not controlling your tongue, it's an indication of it and it provokes it because of the things we say and get our, the trouble we get ourselves into with our tongues. It sets on fire the whole course of nature. And then the Holy Spirit wants us to know, and that tongue is set on fire of hell. Now that is not kindness. I mean, that's not kind. It's, it is kindness to tell us the truth. But this isn't language that our world considers to be kind, to say that your tongue is like a fire that burns up great things, and it is a fire, and it's a fire that is set on fire of hell. But that's the truth. And that's how the Lord wants us to know about our tongues. Hell is behind our tongues. When we read in our Bibles that, and we believe the doctrine of man's total depravity, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, how do we, what's our first glimpse of the wickedness of man? 
Now, for our own wickedness, our first glimpse is knowing what's running around in our heart. The thoughts of foolishness that invade, pervade, and control our minds. We know how evil our heart is because of what's running around in our head. But when we're with someone else, the first glimpse we have is what that little muscle between their two jaws says. It's set on fire of hell because of the things we hear. And our generation that we live in is the most verbal generation that we we can read about in the history of the world. Everything is a joke. There is no place for respect of any measure of authority. Last night in our in our devotions in the family, we were reading through Jude and considering the verses in Jude. And the warning is there about men who despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Do you know how easy it is for jokes to come out of our mouths about government officials? It's sin. Amen. It's sin. Period. There isn't a comma with a qualifier telling you that some jokes are okay. It's sin. Those are offices that God established. And despising dominion and telling jokes about authority indicates that you have the internal character of a brute beast made to be taken and destroyed. That's what the Bible says. Whether you like those words or not, that's what the Bible teaches. And it's, it's hard for you to even receive those words from me. You've, you're, you're, you're defending yourself already by saying there's some jokes that are allowable because we live in a generation of unclean lips. So that you, we, don't, we no longer have the standard of God's pure holiness for the use of our tongues. We have all that's around us and our minds and our consciences are conformed to this world and they must be transformed to be like his and brethren I talk as much as anyone in here and I'm telling you this is a tough subject to take up it's for us to rule our tongues our tongues are set on fire of hell the apostle goes on to tell us about every kind of beast, bird, serpent, and things in the seas. Ben is tamed and hath been tamed, but no man can tame his tongue. But now I thank you, I, I thank the Lord that we have a verse that says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. If it's something that God has required, he's also given us the grace and the strength for it. If we'll humble ourselves before him, confess our folly and the use of it in the past, and beg him for the strength and pray for the Holy Ghost and then discipline it. By his grace. The tongue can no man tame because it's unruly. It doesn't want to be ruled, verse 8. It just wants to speak many times without thinking. Some of you think more before you speak, but that doesn't make your tongue any better because when you do speak, it usually comes out and it's harsh and it's bitter and it's cutting and sarcastic. Your percentage of sarcasm is higher than the rest of us. That's just because we've got other sins we speak so much. We all have the problem of speaking poorly, and we need to guard every word that comes out of our lips. The apostle wants to point out to us that it's the common sin that we bless God. We come into an assembly like this, we sing number three, then we sing number five, blessing God. We sing number 92, blessing God as our mighty fortress. We sing number 528, blessing God again, and then we go out of here and we'll curse men. A driver, a neighbor, a colleague at work will curse men made after the similitude of God. 
And what we need to realize is, can a fountain send forth bitter water and sweet at the same time? No, it's impossible. That is a double-minded man, and this book has already taught us about a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways, and he will not please God nor have his prayers answered, and his religion is vain. May the Lord help us. Let's look in our Bibles at Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, to have tongues like the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might speak with grace to the use of edifying. Let your speech be always with grace. Always? Let no filthy communication proceed out of your mouth. None? None. Holiness. Holiness in speech. No filthy communication. Let your speech be always with grace. Always with grace. Just once in a while it may need to be seasoned with salt. Not changed to salt. Always with grace, seasoned with salt. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue has incredible power in it. For your good or your destruction. For the good of others or the destruction of others. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If you love the use of your tongue for evil, you're going to eat the fruit of it. If you love your tongue for the use, for the good use that it can be put to, you're going to be blessed by it. You'll have the fruit of it. This is a powerful verse. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, the death and life that the word of God wants us to worry about is not assisted at the health food store. The death and life that the Lord wants us to care about is not assisted at the fitness center. The death and life that matters is what we're going to do with our tongues. And as soon as I say amen this morning, you'll be able to look around and walk around and see spiritually minded hearts, noble men and women, and those who are not either of those in this assembly. Because some have not learned to control their tongues. They would far prefer to talk than they would to listen. They're always talking, and hardly ever anything that is spiritually edifying. Now I say that because I want to provoke you, that when we open our mouths, I hope that it will be in some gracious way that will build up other people, that will build up one another. Because if we were all to use our tongues wisely like that, this church would grow. But for us to end this morning and then be speaking about the same things that any social club gathering in Greenville would be talking about, it's going to be to the destruction of our church. There's a small place for inquiring. It's, it's, It's good to the use of edifying to inquire about the state of someone else's life, but to tell us about yours is not very edifying. Let us inquire about yours. I hope that you'll remember death and life from the power of the tongue, and if you love it, you're going to eat the fruit of it. Look at chapter 13, Proverbs chapter 13. Remember, what I'm telling you is not just about speech. It's about bridling your whole body. 
if you can control your speech, it is a discipline that will serve you in your entire life. And you can't do it by yourself. We already had a prayer this morning offered up that we can't do it without the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that grace is abundant. That grace is available. It's more than sufficient. But we have to humble ourselves and use it. The Apostle Paul could say that the grace of God that had been bestowed upon him was abundant. But he also said he labored more abundantly than they all. You say, well, I wish it was one or the other. It's hard to get the proper balance. Well then, I don't want to say this. It's often been said, you should work as if everything depended upon you and pray as if everything depended upon God, but that is not a scriptural statement because of Psalms 127 verses 1 and 2. It does not tell us to do it as if everything depended upon us, but it does say to labor abundantly if we're to be like the Apostle Paul. I read in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 2, A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. Verse 3, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. How many times have you gone home from somewhere where you've been conversing with someone or, or you hung up the telephone from a telephone conversation and you realized... I'm in trouble. Inside, you said, I'm in trouble. Have you ever said those? I'm in trouble because you didn't guard the gateway of destruction, and that's your mouth. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Tongue has the power of destruction in it. It'll get you in deep trouble. Before we speak, we should soberly think, will these words please God? Would Jesus Christ have spoken this way? And will these words result in the blessing and benefit of the soul that's listening? And we do not do that as a discipline. And we need to be doing that always to discipline our tongue. Look at chapter 21 of this book. Proverbs chapter 21. We know what the book of Proverbs is for. It's to teach a young man wisdom and discretion. Isn't that what we're told? Amen. Did, did I read that in a commentary or learn that in a seminary? Or do you just read the first few verses of this book and find that out? Amen. And guess what it has a great deal to say about? The use of the tongue. Throughout its pages, the book of Proverbs, to young men, to teach them wisdom and discretion. Discretion is knowing when and when not to do something. And Discretion in speech is of such great value, knowing when to say something and how to say it and when not to say something and how to say it. That's discretion, and the book of Proverbs is filled with it. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 23, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. I have a a recipe for keeping your soul from troubles, brethren. I have one for myself. Let us keep our tongue and our mouth. We can keep our soul from troubles. But you want good in your life? Let's look at the other side of that use of our, of our tongue briefly. Look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34. There have been men who have mutilated their bodies in the past because they thought they could be more holy with God by, remove, by removing certain parts of their anatomy that they think would keep them from sin. 
Should we remove our tongues? No, because God gave us that tongue for a great purpose. We just need to make sure we're using it in that direction rather than evil. Look at Psalm 34. And this psalm is quoted in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. It's Psalm 34, 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? If you have any ambitions, do they fall into these three descriptive phrases here? Psalm 34, 12. You desire life many days that you may see good. Here's how you get it. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. What's the first, the first recipe item for having a good life like that? Keeping your lips, keeping your mouth, being careful of how you speak. May the Lord bless us to do that. Peace and prosperity are within the power of the tongue, just as we read in Proverbs 18. We saw earlier that in James chapter 1, a truly religious man is a man that bridleth his tongue. James 1, 26. Look at Psalm 12, and this is what I fear that of the generation we live in. And I don't have to wonder if we live in this kind of a generation. We do. I fear it. Psalm 12. Help, Lord. Do you ever listen to the television? I said, listen to it. Listen to the radio. Or read the words and hear them coming off the printed page of our society. And do you ever say, help, Lord. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. Notice what the psalmist sees and hears. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, With our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Our whole society right now is media-driven. Everything that's happening in politics is media-driven. Right here. Right to your ear. They flatter, they lie, they deceive, they mislead over and over, driving the entire process. Public opinion is formed by the merchants of our media. And if, if, if these four verses have ever been true, they're true right now. And what the psalmist says is that they have an attitude about speech. Who is Lord over us, over our tongues? They are our own. Now, I once heard Pharaoh say, who is the Lord that I should obey him? But these people say, you know, our tongues are our own. Who is Lord over us? They think they can speak any way. When I bring to you Ephesians chapter 5, and it says that foolish talking and jesting are inconvenient and God is going to judge the world because of foolish talking and jesting, that is hard for you to hear and it is hard for you to receive because you live in a generation where men are like this. That is too strict, in your opinion. That is too strict. But it's not, because if we knew how frail our lives were, and that every man at his best state is altogether vanity, and that everything that we pursue that disquiets our life is a joke, then there must be something serious. And that serious thing is, your life is only this wide, four inches, and it's gone and you meet God. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. If I could give you a one-second glimpse of him this morning, you would speak correctly for a long time. One second. 
Now, I can't do that, and it causes me frustration every day of my life that I can't do that. I pray for that, but I know that God can do that. And to every sober soul here that's truly blood-bought by the Lord Jesus Christ and prepares itself to come to the worship of God and right now will humble itself under the mighty hand of God and hear my words, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel, because when Isaiah saw that king high and lifted up, he said, Woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the United States of America in the year 2000. They are a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And you need to see Him in order to control our speech. When you're at home, you think that you can let it roll because you're with your family with whom you are familiar. But remember, the eyes of the Lord and the ears of the Lord see and hear everything. And I preached that last Sunday in that message on the Lord Jesus Christ certainly cares for us. And he sees everything. The chief problem in guarding our tongues is not knowledge. I have nothing new to give to you this morning. There is nothing new to give. It is diligent labor with the grace of God. That's what it is. So So many of our problems and our lack of holiness and righteousness before the Lord Jesus Christ is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of effort in doing the things we already know. It's that commitment, that conviction, that purpose, that fervency, that zeal that comes from a heart that is perfectly right with God, that has learned those three lessons of Psalm 39, verses 4, 5, and 6, that knows its only purpose is to please God. That kind of a heart will remember the things it's been taught and do them. You don't need to hear new things about the tongue. You just need to be reminded And I hope by the grace of God that when we leave this service, we will have met with the God himself and the Holy Spirit will give us the strength to go out of here and before we even get out of here, to guard our tongues. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. What are some of the things that we do wrong with our tongues? Proverbs 12. Sarcasm. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. There's so much in that verse. A wise man will use his tongue to improve the condition of someone else. He will help their health. He will not break them down, cut them down, as we use that expression, cut them down. How many times do we have to say to our children, would you stop cutting each other down? Isn't that what a sword's for? Cutting someone down? There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. A tongue used properly is going to build someone up. It's going to be healthy for them. It's going to be to their profit and benefit and vitality to be around you because the things you say to them will be uplifting and good for them. But there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. And one of the most cutting ways that we can be is to speak sarcastically. To have that edge on our words by which we cut. And everyone in here should know exactly what I'm talking about without a whole lot of illustration. We know about that sarcasm. May God save us from sarcasm. Because it cuts like the cutting of a sword and it isn't to the health of those that hear it. 
I especially want to remind you and me as fathers that we be not sarcastic with our children because the Bible says that we're to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and that we are not to discourage them. And a lot of sarcastic language can be discouraging. Someone will say, well, what about Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul and Elijah? Didn't they use sarcasm? Yes, once in a while. And when you're facing 950 prophets of Baal that are trying to lead the entire nation to worship an idol, then you can use some too. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Amen. Sarcastic ridicule. Let's guard the poison of sarcasm, the sword of sarcasm that comes out of our lips. Let's go to Ephesians 5. I can't leave that place alone. I don't think you've heard enough of it yet. It's hard for us to even receive these words. I think your ears are stopped up to them unless by grace the Lord opens them. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 it says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Now if I were to ask any of you, do you you agree that those three things ought not to be named among the saints of God? You'd say, definitely. Filthiness and uncleanness, fornication, covetousness, those are horrible sins. Okay. Verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Neither means that what he just said in verse 3 about it not being once named among the saints applies to the three things there, plus it applies to the three things in verse 4. Filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. There's only one thing that I know how to say at this point reading that verse. God, have mercy upon us. I wish I could shut my mouth and sit down and sing the rest of the service. I don't even know if I want to sing. I'm so afraid of this thing. We live in a generation that is that is addicted and obsessed with that all the time. Foolish talking and jesting. I know I've said it before, brethren, and I'm going to say it again. Because there are certain sins that our society is obsessed with. And one of them is right here. And it goes on in verse 5, For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming to judge this ungodly world for these things. And when you look at these things and their associated things, you find six things. You find uncleanness and filthiness. You find fornication and covetousness. But you find foolish talking and jesting. That's how we can use our tongue improperly and displease God. Jesus Christ did not go around telling jokes. No way. Impossible. He was holy. A joke doesn't help anyone. It wastes time. It wastes breath. It reduces the sobriety of life. We just finished reading in Psalm 39 that surely, surely, our life is a vain show, and every man walketh in a vain show. If that's surely true, then we don't have time to joke. If we are truly, surely going to meet God, there is no time for foolish talking or jesting. It reduces our whole outlook at life to a big joke. And that's what our society is right now. Every night, isn't 
I don't look at it anymore. Thank you, Lord. Super Bowl, January last year, I mean this year, 11 months ago, I watched my television. But isn't it every night from about 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock, they call it prime time, or 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock? Aren't most of them sitcoms? What's a sitcom? Sitting and laughing and having a studio audience laughing at a prompt just to keep you laughing, and all it is is insane, and insanity, disrespect of authority, disrespect of every ordinance of God, every marital ordinance, every sexual ordinance, everything that you can think of is made light of between 7 o'clock and 11 o'clock on our televisions, and everybody laughs about it. And I'm like a voice of one crying in the wilderness, and I'm no hero for it. There's very few raising up their voices to speak against it. You look at our Newsweek, the restaurant that my son owns, has Newsweek magazines come in. You open Newsweek, and you only go a few pages until they have all of the hilarious cartoons and jokes about our leaders. And yes, they're very entertaining to read, but I want you to remember that when you're reading those and enjoying them, you're sitting against God. Right. I read in Romans chapter 1 and verse 31 that knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. Foolish talking and jesting. Brethren, can we become sober? Grave. You know, those are Bible words. Do you know that those Bible words are used more than once? Did you know they're used more than twice? That's a whole other subject to study. Sobriety. Christian sobriety. Our grandparents were a completely different type of people than we are. Amen. Completely different. Like almost a different race. My brother, do you remember how our foolishness as boys irritated our grandfather? He wanted to string us up. Because we were foolish boys. We loved noise. And we, as little boys, we looked at our grandfather and thought that he was nuts. He was extreme. And now I'm 43 and I'm wishing I could have him back to go hug him and thank him and commend him and praise him and talk about his generation because that generation was sober. They knew the reality of life, that it was hard. We're living right now in a tinsel, illusionary world of God-induced prosperity as a form of judgment upon the wicked so that they think they're getting away with all their sin and jesting and joking about all the important things of life. Psalm 12. Psalm 12. Let's cut out sarcasm. Let's cut out foolish talking and jesting with our tongues. And let's look at Psalm 12 and see if we can find something else. Verse 3, The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Boasting of what we've done or what we're going to do or what someone else has done. Flattering and proud things. Let's cut out boasting of what we have done or what we're going to do or what someone else has done or is going to do. Let's not flatter. I want to tell you something, that no matter how well the plans are that are laid, unless the Lord is in the matter, it's not going to happen. And that to boast about something when you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring is sin. 
You don't know what's coming tomorrow. We do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. This country could be taken over. And if you say, well, that's impossible to happen in one night. Ha <laughs> ha, praise the Lord. I've got a Bible. Amen. And it tells me that the greatest nation that ever lived, greater than this country, was Babylon. And she said of herself, I shall sit a queen forever. And how long did it take for Babylon to fall? One night. Was it a difficult fight? No, they had to walk in and take it. The Medes and the Persians walked through the Euphrates Riverbank, up the sides of it, into the city of Babylon, and while Belshazzar was in there feasting with his lords, having a hand come out and write on the wall that tonight your kingdom is taken from you, the kingdom was taken from him in one night. You do not know what a day is going to bring forth. That man thought that he could have every important person in the empire of Babylon inside his great palace and have a great feast, and he could bring out the vessels of the Lord God of Israel and use them for his toast that night. Let us not brag, brethren. Let us humbly submit. We need to trust the Lord. My daughter came to me yesterday. We were talking about snow and rain and things like that, and she said, You know, a farmer really has to trust the Lord, doesn't he? And I understand those words. We get get removed from it a little bit because we've got that paycheck and we think that it's not as dependent upon the Lord. But I'll tell you, a farmer got up every morning and looked out that window, and if if the seed was in the ground, guess what he wanted? He wanted some combination of sunshine and water. Sunshine and water. And then when it was time to harvest, he needed some relief from that water because they needed to get out there and bring it in. And they depended on the Lord every day. And we think because you work for some big company that has a big building, and they cut you a paycheck. Well, brethren, there's a lot of dot-com buildings right now that aren't occupied. The entire NASDAQ stock index in the last nine months has been cut in half. Glory be to his name. They all thought they were going to go up forever go up forever. They weren't making any money. It's all a pipe dream that the Internet is going to become some great cash cow. The Amazons and the Yahoos and the others like them. They've been shaved in half in the last nine months as of this past week. God's able to humble men. Let's not boast. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. That generation that came out of the Depression, that lived in the Depression, and saw God take away everything, and that relied upon farming, they were people that survived, and they trusted God for their daily bread. Do you even know what those words mean when you read the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. You're worried, are you going to have steak for next year? Give us this day our daily bread. I'll tell you what, we wouldn't be doing much boasting if we were wondering if this day we were going to have bread to eat. Do you know it's not even for tomorrow? It's give us This day, our daily bread. May the Lord help us not to boast, brethren. Psalm 101. Have we ever been to Psalm 101 before in this church? Amen. Psalm 101. One of the holiness psalms. Verse 5. Here's David's holy heart. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. Privately slandering a neighbor. 
If someone comes and tells you something about another person that is putting them down, what is David going to do? Cut him off. Don't do that anymore. Cut him off. You know, one part of kind speech is not to interrupt another person while they're talking. But if someone is running someone else down, it's time to interrupt them while they're talking and to stop it. That's a holy man who is guarding the tongue. And let's make sure that we're not guilty of speaking about others where we are telling a secret about anyone else, whether it be true or false. You know, many people think that because I'm telling something that's true, that means I can tell it. No, it's just as wrong as if it's false. It makes no difference whatsoever because it's not being done to build the other person up. If you're doing it to tear them down, if you're doing it to hurt them, if you're doing it to slight them, then it's wrong. Whispering and slandering destroys men, and we're to cut off that speech. Let's not use our tongues for that. Let's not curse others. The Lord Jesus Christ would say, You've heard it said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, that if you call somebody a fool, or a brother a fool, without a cause, you're in danger of the judgment of breaking that commandment. You say, but Jesus Christ called men fools. When you're Jesus Christ, then we'll listen to you. But until then, we better be very careful calling someone a fool. The Apostle Paul called men fools, and when a man is truly acting like it's a fool, he's a fool, and it's visible to all, and he has a God-called purpose to call him a fool, then let it be done. But we better be very careful or we run right into the teeth of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. Let's not curse others. Are you given to flattery? Look at Psalm 5. Psalm 5. Psalm 5 and verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Wow, the first part of that verse doesn't sound very good. There is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. And then how does it describe these kind of people? They flatter with their tongue. It's easy to flatter. To praise someone excessively. To praise someone for your own personal end. To praise someone to win favor. There is a time to praise and a time to commend, and I hope that we do so. The Apostle Paul praised the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. He commended many. Timothy was his favorite man to commend because he had no other man like-minded like Timothy in the New Testament. However, if we flatter people to win favor, if you're praising someone to win favor or to get something out of them or to earn some reputation for yourself... Now hear me, praising for those ends is sin. It's flattery. You say, but you mean, can I compliment someone else? If you're complimenting them to win their favor, if you are complimenting them to get something out of them, or or if you are complimenting them to build your reputation, all three are sin. If you are complimenting them because you see some progress in their life that is noble, good, virtuous, holy, and righteous, God-pleasing, and you want to let them know that you see that, and you give God the glory, praise them. Disrespect to authority. I've already mentioned it about jokes 
about our government leaders. Look at Deuteronomy 27. I'll just pick on one position of authority. And so I'm speaking to all of you children. Deuteronomy 27. All of you children, I was once a child. I know that children get to go to their bedroom sometimes after mom and dad have corrected them or rebuked them or spanked you. What do you say about your mom and dad when, they're in, when you're in the bedroom and no one else is around to hear except your brothers and sisters? Here's what Deuteronomy 27 verse 16 has to say. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. The entire congregation gathered together. The little girls and the little boys stood beside Daddy and Mommy. And a priest would read these curses and all the people would say, Amen. We may do this sometime. You, you would be surprised at how graphically plain the Word of God was for a mixed assembly of all ages. But right here, I only want the 16th verse. Cursed. Cursed. Do you know what that meant? The death penalty. The death penalty. In God's scheme of things, if you talk foolishly or lightly or make a joke or speak disrespectfully about your parents, that is setting light by your parents and you're to be cursed. Go read the rest of these and see what kind of sins that this one's lined up right beside. That is the death penalty. You say, that is, ju- that is just too far. It's too far for our generation, but it's not too far for us if we want to be holy. Amen. That too far feelings that you're getting inside hearing, listen, i got to say them. You're the one hearing them and you're saying, you think that it's easy for me to say them, don't you? I have to say them. You have to hear them. And because of our generation that we live in, they're hard to receive. This is a hard saying. I've said several things this morning that are hard to receive. That's because we live in a very wicked generation. I could give you more on that particular subject, but I want to move on. We don't want to speak disrespectfully of those in authority. We never want to deceive. A lying tongue, God hates it. The worst sin that you children can commit is to lie to your parents. As far as sinning against your parents, lying is the worst thing you can do. Any other sin, if you will come and repent of it, can be worked through. I don't care what you've done wrong. If you'll come and confess it openly and honestly to your parents, it can be worked out. But it is difficult to impossible to work out of a lie. Because then you can't be trusted. We don't know what you're saying. We don't know what you're thinking. We cannot trust you. God hates a lying tongue. And all of us had better make sure that when we speak, we speak the truth. We always speak the truth. We do not, we do not embellish the truth. We don't exaggerate the truth. We don't distort the truth when we need it on that side of truth. We want truth and only truth. At all times. All of you children, and I'm talking now about older children, the kind that wish they were being called parents instead of children. When you're addressed by your parents and you're asked a question, I hope that you uh, have believe in full disclosure. They're your parents. 
They have a right to full disclosure. And don't go to the Bible and tell me about the verse that says a wise man keeps it in till afterwards. Because that verse doesn't apply when you're in court and a judge is talking to your father. <clears throat> and when your father's asking you something, he is the judge and he wants full disclosure. So tell him everything. Don't deceive a parent. Don't deceive a spouse. Let's not deceive employees, employers, church members, your pastor. Honesty. It's so beautiful. You never have to worry because you told the truth. Do you remember those? Do you remember ever telling a lie? And then you got to tell another one to cover that stupid first one. And then you're caught. You're telling lies and deceiving. And all because one time you decided not to tell the truth. And you, I know in my household, once they told the lie, the punishment was far more severe than if they'd have told me what they had done and admitted it. Isn't that, that is the intelligence factor, the IQ factor of children. They've done something very minor that would get a rebuke. Instead of admitting it when they're confronted, they lie about it, so they get many stripes. That is wisdom. And they do it over and over again. And you explain it to them, and they still do it. We're not a whole lot better, are we? As adults, the tongue is an unruly evil. God help us to rule it. And to tell the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. What a great oath we have in our courts. Contention and debate. I read in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. I get two out of that verse. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. No complaining. We live in the most blessed, prosperous society ever. There's no reason to ever complain. No murmurings. Do you know what God did to some murmurers once in Israel? And they had far less than you. God destroyed them. 1 Corinthians 10. No disputings. No arguing. You've heard your parents say that because they get sick of hearing children argue. But God gets sick of hearing us argue. Let's, there's no need for arguing. There's only one need for arguing. I don't know about its need in here right now. And that is when we're earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. You argue for that against unbelievers and heretics. But among one another, there shouldn't be arguing. Do all things... Paul told an excellent church at Philippi without murmurings and disputings. Brethren, how about sowing discord? If you ever open your lips and say a negative word about another brother or about the pastor or about the church or about anything like that, you are one of the people God hates. God hates those that sow discord among brethren. There's a number of things that we should guard against in using our tongues for. Sarcasm, foolish talking and jesting, boasting, whispering and slandering others, cursing others like our parents, flattering others to accomplish some end other than building them up, disrespect to authority, deceiving, arguing, disputing, murmuring, complaining, lying, Sowing discord among brethren. But brethren, look at Psalm 16. There's a good use for your tongue. And the good use for your tongue and the reason it was created 
is not to help the food get down your throat. That's a secondary purpose for its existence. Psalm 16 and verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Many times I can duplicate this verse in your Bibles that your tongue is called your glory. Remember, the tongue has in it the power of life and of death. Right. Now, I've just looked at the things that cause death in your, for yourself because it's going to bring horrible trouble into your life. And I showed you the things that cause death in others and how it destroys people. But now there's a good use of our tongue, and it's to praise God. Look at Psalm 30. Psalm 30 and verse 12. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. Your tongue is to glorify God. Remember, the whole duty of man is to fear God and to keep his commandments. He's made all things for himself, for his pleasure, and we give him pleasure by using our tongues to sing his praise. He is already great. He was already infinitely perfect. Why did he create? To display the perfection for his praise from other creatures. We fulfill that purpose by praising him with our tongues. He loves our praise. He loves it. The creatures that are in his presence, brethren, I'll tell you what they're doing. They're praising. Amen. Go read about it in the book of Revelation. Go read about it anywhere. Go read about it in Isaiah 6. They're praising his holiness. That's what we should be doing. We need to be doing that more. Then we need to look at Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30 and use our tongues as a tree of life to others. The first purpose of our tongue is, uh, is our glory, to give glory to God by praising Him and thanking Him and blessing Him and lifting Him up and exalting Him. Brethren, remember, a, a brother got up here and stood recently and spoke of the book of remembrance that God has written. That book of remembrance is written for God to write down those that He's going to consider His jewels. But those people that are written in that book that are considered His jewels, what did they do? They spake often one to another about Him. He loves that. And if we were always talking about Him to each other, it would lift our spirits up. Amen. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. A righteous man bears fruit, And that fruit that he bears is life to others. He wins souls. He saves them from death. He saves them from trouble. He gives them good things to hear, to learn, to grow in knowledge, and to be saved from trouble. The righteous man is a soul winner. He's a tree of life, and he does it with his tongue. Look at chapter 15 and verse 4. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. May God save us from the second half of that verse and bless us with the first half to be a tree of life. That Those, those sounds that come out of our, our lips, that, that no other 
No, no other nation on earth right now could understand. It would just sound like nonsense, noise. We all speak the same tongue, the same language. And can we use those sounds that come out of our lips and with our tongue to build other people up and to make them better, to, to keep sin out of their life, to encourage them, to comfort the feeble-minded, to support the weak, to warn the unruly, and so forth. We can do that. A righteous man will feed many with his words. There's so many references to this particular point in Proverbs, I'm going to trust that you believe it. You know, even rebuke, when it's done with graciousness, a man's going to be rebuked with graciousness and considered a kindness. If the righteous smite me, I'll consider it a kindness. So that even when we're rebuking someone, it should be done always with grace, seasoned with salt. And then anyone can take correction except an utter scorner and fool. Graciousness should mark our speech. We should praise God, and we should be a tree of life to others, and let us be gracious. David said, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. David and Solomon knew that better than anyone because there was once upon a time where David was nothing but a little shepherd boy that had just killed Goliath. And he stood before King Saul, and King Saul asked him who he was and who who his father was. And David, in giving a short answer, the prince of Israel stood there and knew in a few sentences that he was beholding the most gracious man in Israel. And Jonathan's heart was knit with the heart of David, Jonathan fell in love with David, yes. He loved him as his own soul. The first four verses of 1 Samuel 18 describe that, and it's because of the way David conducted himself under an interrogation from Saul, who art thou? Right. He was so gracious. And then those two men could write about graciousness, and they did. But the Lord Jesus Christ was the epitome of it, yeah. the son of David. And I've already mentioned the great example of him in Luke chapter 4, But brethren, I can promise you one thing, that every time you read that he opened his mouth and said anything, it was done graciously. Because he was the king. And he was the perfect king that ruled over men perfectly. So many times in the book of Proverbs it says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a frame of silver. A beautiful setting. Beautiful. A word fitly spoken. Oh, that we can have ourselves known for words fitly spoken. Amen. How are we going to guard our tongues? First of all, remember that God knows every word in your mouth. Ever read Psalm 139, verse 4, where it says, Thou knowest every word while it's still here. Every word in my tongue, thou knowest it altogether. Psalm 139, verse 4. Do you know that in Matthew chapter 12, it says that we shall give an account of Every idle word. If Ephesians 5.4 doesn't get to you, and you think that maybe you can sneak some of your foolish talking and jesting through that passage, which you can't, but if you think you can, what will you do with Matthew 12 that says every idle word? Every idle word. That means a word that does not have a purpose. You say, well, I want to make people laugh. Why? Why? What are you laughing about? We need to guard that. Every idle word. 
There needs to be a purpose for every word that comes out of our mouth. Jesus said we're going to give an account in the day of judgment for every idle word. So the first thing we've got to remember is God knows every word, and we're going to give an account of every idle one. That right there should keep us very sober. When, we go, when we're in the car, we think we're alone because the people in the other cars can't hear us. But God's there. Right. When we go home, we think we're alone because no one else is there. They have to call us to be able to talk to us or hear us. But God is there. And David said, if I would make my bed in hell, lo, thou wilt be there also. Right. So wherever we speak, we're going to be heard. May we, rem- may we remember that this week. Pray for discretion. God is able to help you bridle your tongue. Look at Psalm 141, verse 3. I'm finishing. Psalm 141, verse 3. This is a prayer of a righteous man. Do you want to pray like a righteous man? Then read the Psalms and pray after them. If you want to read a Psalm as a prayer to God, he won't object. Remember, he told his disciples to pray after this manner and gave them a prayer. Psalm 141 and verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Glory. That's short, isn't it? That wouldn't take very long to pray. You could memorize that verse and say it once in a while. About when you're to meet someone that you talk to too much, or you say too much, or you're upset, or you're irritated. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Rule one is we're going to remember that God knows every word that we speak and we're going to give an account for every idle one. Number two, we're going to remember to pray for discretion, for God to keep a watch and to keep the door of our lips. Then we're going to be slow. The Bible says slow to speak, and it says it several times. For those of you with problems that you know your conscience is convicted, that you sin with your lips... Cut your words in half. Slow down. First of all, slow down. If we'll think before speaking and not just impulsively respond, we'll be saved a lot of trouble. Many of us speak before we've got full connection between the gears of mind and tongue. Because the tongue's been trained by instinct to let something out. And we need to slow down. The Bible says slow to speak. In fact, it says, the righteous studieth to answer. Amen. It's going to be so hard to do this, brethren, in this society, but we must. Right. It's hard for us to wear modest clothing, and it's going to be hard for us to speak modestly. Let your words be few is rule number four. First, speak slowly. Think before you speak. Fourth, let your words be few. Cut your words in half. That's a simple little rule. Just cut your words in half, those of you who know that you sin with your lips. Last, graciousness. I want to say it again. Colossians 4, 6. Ephesians 4, 29. Let your speech be always with grace. We have met people. They're exceptions, and that's why they stick out in our minds. We've met people that are very gracious, that when they say something, it's very kind. It's helpful. It's benevolent. It's courteous. It's polite. It's discreet. It's gentle. It's forgiving. It's overlooking. It's cooperative. It's agreeable. It's cheerful. All those things. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. We hardly ever need salt in here. Once in a while, 
Let's make sure we err on the gracious side. Brethren, five things. Remember these, please. God knows, and you're going to give an account of every idle word. Pray for his help to guard your tongue and mouth. Third, be slow to speak. Fourth, let your words be few. Five, let our speech be always with grace to the use of edifying. May we only speak to build up our brethren, to bless the Lord Jesus Christ, to be thankful, to be kind, to be gracious. Just think what we could do if that's all we used our mouths for. For us to grow as a church and for us to please the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't care about numbers. Right. That's in the Lord's hands. I mean, I'll do what I'll do anything I can for anyone, but for us here, it's to grow in holiness and righteousness and to please Him, that He might work in us every good work that is well pleasing in His sight. And the tongue, brethren, is something that we need to guard that we might please Him. May the Lord bless the preaching of His word. Amen.